So I want to give you some seemingly random words, and in your mind, consider how they may fit together. Ready? Air, oxygen, freedom, sounds, radio waves, energy, dreams, gravity, love, thoughts. You can't see any of them, but they're real. And we're going to get right into the notes if you're following along. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And even more so, just because we can't see something doesn't mean we can't see the effects of something. You can see the effects of all those things. Let me add one more word to that list this morning. Spiritual warfare. And it happens in an invisible world that we can't see that's just as real, if not more real, than this physical world that we live in, and it's far more powerful. Far more powerful. But the problem many of us have in 21st century America, especially as Westerners, is that it's really hard to believe in the unseen. If we can't taste it or see it or touch it or smell it, it's just not there. But the problem we run into with that is if we don't want to believe in the unseen, if we don't want to believe in spiritual warfare, then what we've done is chosen what we want to believe in the Bible. Because the Bible is full of spiritual warfare from Genesis to Revelation. The Apostle Paul gives us a clear example of this and maybe one of the best descriptions in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he writes this. Would you read this with me on the screen? It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so as we begin to look at this subject today, there's two principles that we're going to keep in mind together. I've already given them to you on your notes, but one is to avoid rationalism. And the other is to avoid fanaticism. So we're not just going to minimize it and explain it away, which is our tendency here probably. But we're also going to be careful not to become so caught up and obsessed with it that we see a demon behind every bush. Because if we do that, there are some nutty teachings out there, some crazy beliefs. And so we're going to try to strike a balance today as we look at this subject. And I'm excited to look at it. Because if we can begin to see that there is a battle raging around us and we can learn how to fight this battle, I believe it can change our lives. It can help us go from feeling like failures and defeated in bondage and captive to our sin, not being able to break out of it, frustrated and miserable, to realizing that victory has already been won and we can live in that victory. So let me say a couple things up front today as we begin. I, I am not a, an expert in this subject at all. I feel incredibly vulnerable standing here talking to you about this because I struggle with it. I'm still learning about it, and I still mess up. But I hope we can learn together, and you're not going to hear so much what I think, but we're going to learn what the Bible says and that's why the notes are a little bit longer today. You might have seen that. We've included a lot of resources for you. Because our hope is that one or two things will stick out to you. 
One or two things. But we wanted to resource you so that you could go home and study this on your own and look it up in the Bible and ask God what else he wants to teach you. Also, you may have a lot of questions surrounding this topic. It's a confusing topic, and I just wanted to let you know up front, if you have questions that pop up as we go through this, you can email me anytime. I'll put the email address on the screen, steve at cherryhillsfamily.org. We'll get right back to you on that. With all the confusion and questions, though, that surround this, let's not miss the main point. And if you're following in your notes, the main point is that God is in control of the seen and the unseen, no matter what. No matter what happens, no matter what we go through, he's in control. So let's open our Bibles. Daniel chapter 10, we're in a summer series called No Matter What in the book of Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Open your Bibles up about halfway through and then go a little farther to the right. You'll find the book of Daniel If you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. I want to encourage you to take one of those out if you use that Bible. Daniel 10 is found on page 622. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Daniel 10, as you're getting there, Daniel 10 is the introduction to a larger vision that we'll see the next two weeks in chapters 11 and 12. But this sets us up for that vision, and we get a reassurance before we get to that vision. So let's dig in. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. If you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going to read this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat, or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless." Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. So Daniel's in mourning. He's in mourning. We're not sure what for. It probably has to do he's in mourning for God's people, either the people still living in Babylon or those who have gone back to Jerusalem because Cyrus let some of them go back and they may not be living the way God intended them to live. So Daniel is mourning for his people. We saw this last week in chapter 9 as well. And we're told that he's mourning for three weeks. And the language used would indicate that he is praying And fasting, right? He ate no choice meats, no wine touched his lips. He refrained from lotion. So he's fasting, and he's calling on the Lord. And 21 days into this praying, an angel so magnificent that it drops him to his face shows up in response to his prayer. 
and says the following words. Would you read these together in the gray box on your notes? The angel said this. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So we'll get to the vision next week. But what happens here, if you're following in your notes, is that God pulls back a curtain for Daniel to see the unseen. He pulls back a curtain for Daniel to see the unseen. He's been praying for 21 days. Daniel's a human, right? He's human like us. And I just wonder at some point during 21 days, if these thoughts came to his mind, God, are you listening? Do you hear what I'm saying? Are you going to help me? Where are you? You're not answering me here. I just wonder, I mean, have any of you thought that when you've prayed long for something and it hasn't been answered the way you wanted? And catch this. Catch this. We're told there's a war raging in the heavenlies for 21 days. His prayer was heard on the first day. God heard it. And for 21 days, there's a war raging in the heavenlies between this angel and the prince or evil spirit of Persia until there's a breakthrough on the 21st day. This blows my mind. When we pray, it affects what's going on in the unseen. It affects what's going on in the unseen. When we pray to God, angels go to action, and we join the battle. And so I want to talk about this battle this morning. You ready? We're, we're going to buckle up. We're going to go deep. We're going to go fast. We're going to hit some deep stuff. So you ready? What we learned from this short glimpse into the unseen, if you're following in your notes, is that there's two competing kingdoms, two kingdoms, God and Satan. And we know, need to know they are opposite of one another and diametrically opposed to one another. God's desire is that all people would be saved, and the desire of the God of this world is for people to burn in hell. They are opposed. And so as we begin, we know these kingdoms are opposites, but I want to look at the characters in each kingdom because I think it will help us as we learn how to fight. So if you're following in your notes, the the first character we see, angels. Angels are created. They are created immortal spiritual beings, not eternal, with moral judgment, without physical bodies that we can see. That is a heck of a mouthful. So so let's walk through that. They're created. They're not eternal. Only God is eternal. They have not always existed. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, so we know that angels were created before the seventh day of creation, all of them. So we know they were created and they are immortal. Luke 20 tells us that resurrected people will be like the angels. They will never die. So they're created, they're not eternal, they're immortal. And a point of clarification here, this is just important to me, so I just share it with you. I've suffered loss, I have family members in heaven that I long to see. When our loved ones die, they do not become angels. 
And I don't mean to upset you because it's even better. They're perfected and they're everything they were ever meant to be in the presence of their Savior, Jesus Christ, if they followed him. But they're not angels. Angels are created and immortal. And so angels are spiritual beings. Hebrews 1 talks about how they are ministering spirits. They're spirits. They're not material beings with physical bodies. And so they can't be seen unless God gives us a special ability to see them or gives them a body, like we see in Scripture, that they can be seen. So they have moral capacities. They make moral judgments. We'll see this play out when we talk about Satan and demons, but let's get this on the table. Angels can make choices. They can make choices. On your notes, this is already given to you. Angels are powerful and terrifying. They are called mighty ones in Scripture. And when people encounter an angel in Scripture, they are terrified, and they usually fall on their face. So what I want to do is get this idea out of our minds that angels are chubby little babies in diapers with sashes and a bow and arrow. They're terrifying and powerful. They're terrifying and powerful. So what do angels do? The first two are critical in our fight. The first two are critical. Angels, if you're following in your notes, they administer God's protection. They administer God's protection. In Daniel 6, it was the angels who shut the mouths of the lions. And in Psalm 91, we read, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They protect us. If you're following in your notes, they bring God's deliverance. They bring God's deliverance. In Acts 5.18, the apostles are arrested and put in public jail, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opens the doors of the jail and brings them out and delivers them. We see the same thing in Acts 12 with Peter. He's delivered by an angel. Those are important for our fight. And because they bring God's deliverance, if you're following in your notes, they deliver God's plans. They help carry out God's plans on earth. They deliver his plans. And finally, they will announce Christ's return. If you're following on your notes, they will announce Christ's return. Nobody will miss it, and the angels will let us know. So much more we could say about angels. So much more. But I want to move on and spend some time on demons and Satan because I want us to see who our enemy is. We need to open our eyes and know who our enemy is if we're going to fight our enemy. So if you're following in your notes, demons are evil angels who sinned against God and now continually work out evil in the world. They're evil angels who sinned against God and now continually work out evil in the world. So the question is, who's Satan? If you're following in your notes, Satan is an angel created by God who served as a cherub, the worship leader in heaven, until he rebelled against God and now opposes God in every way. He was created by God. So let's get this image out of our mind, right? He's not a guy in red tights with a pitchfork and horns. He's powerful and terrifying. And so we know he's an angel. He has all the characteristics we already mentioned about angels. He's created. He makes choices based on moral judgments, and he's powerful. And since we know they're angels, Satan and demons were created good by Genesis 1.31 when God finished creating the heavens and the earth. They were created good. But something happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3.1 where Adam and Eve sinned. 
And Scripture leaves a bit of a gap here, but there are some Old Testament passages that help fill in that gap just a bit to let us know what happened. We can read in Ezekiel 28 that Satan was the worship leader in heaven until he sinned. And then we come to Isaiah 14, a very important passage, and we can read this on the screen. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. This is talking about Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. By the way, Lucifer, when we get to his name, it means morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Do you see the repeating words that Satan said in there? I will. He wanted to be God, and he wanted to replace God. And, and we see when he sinned, the result of his sin in Revelation 12, we can see this on the screen, says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. If you're following on your notes, in summary, Satan was created good. He rebelled against God because of pride. Pride was his sin. He was thrown out of heaven with his demons to wage war on God's people. And then the battlefield shifts to earth. And we're told in 1 Peter 5.8 that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know why lions prowl? It's for one reason. They want to kill. And so on earth, Satan has two primary objectives. If you're following in your notes, two primary objectives to destroy God's people and defame God's glory. To destroy God's people and defame God's glory. That's what he's after. And so if we have an enemy who wants to kill us, then it's probably good to know his strategy, right? It's like playing a sport. It's good to know the game plan or the strategy of the other team and what they're going to do so we can counter it. And here's what you need to know about Satan. He's not creative. We can figure him out, but we have to open our eyes to do it. And we need to know who he is and how he fights. And so I want to first look, if you turn your notes over, I want to look at the tactics that he uses and the names that he's given in Scripture reveal his tactics. He's called the adversary. He's the adversary. He opposes God. Remember, two opposite kingdoms. Listen, have you ever set out to do something for God and you just kept hitting up against it and it was just plain hard? Maybe sometimes it's just hard, but maybe sometimes there's spiritual warfare going on and there's an enemy trying to oppose you. He's also known as Lucifer, if you're following in your notes. Lucifer means morning star or son of the dawn, as we just read. And what this means is that Satan's not going to come to you ugly and scary, but he'll come to you beautiful and enticing and will be attracted to his agenda because he will dress it up and seduce us with it. 
2 Corinthians 11.4 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And what he does is he takes these good things that God created, like food and family and children and sports and sex and ambition, and he twists them to the point that we make an idol out of them. Have any of you ever struggled with that? That's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. He is the accuser, if you're following in your notes, the accuser and the slanderer. He's a liar. He cannot tell the truth. He delights in condemnation. He will accuse you and condemn you. Have you ever been tempted and you've given into temptation and you sin and then you beat yourself up for it? You hate yourself. You call yourself stupid, an idiot, a loser, a failure. Have you ever done that? That is the enemy because Jesus would never say that to you. He would never use those words. That is spiritual warfare. He will try to convince you that you have sinned so badly that there's no way God could forgive you and that you are condemned. Spiritual warfare. He's a deceiver. If you're following in your notes, he's a deceiver. That's what he did to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And he says things, he said to them, did God really say that? And he says the same thing to us. Did God really say that? I don't think God really meant that. That's good for other people, but you're different. You can do what you want to do. You know what the Bible says, but. Spiritual warfare. He wants to deceive us. So Satan and his demons use those tactics, and they use those tactics to now attack the earth. And the way they attack the earth is very important. If you're following your notes, the first way is by directing governments. They direct governments. This is exactly what we've seen throughout the book of Daniel. He directs governments. We see it in our world today in world governments or splinter groups like Hamas or ISIS. What about governments that support the abortion industry? That is spiritual warfare. God wants to destroy lives, even lives in the womb. It is spiritual warfare. He attacks us by bringing sickness. If you're following your notes, by bringing sickness. We see this in the story of Job, and we know that since Genesis 3, sickness is in the world. The world was created good and perfect. And since Genesis 3, there's sickness. Satan brings sickness. We also know he attacks the earth by destroying lives. Destroying lives. John 10.10 says Satan comes to kill, kill and steal and destroy. This isn't hard to see in our world. We have abuse and addictions and abject poverty and children starving and 150 million orphans needing families. People walking into movie theaters and churches and shooting people. Now, sometimes it's just people making really bad decisions but could it be that there's more going on than we can see in its spiritual warfare? He attacks by, if you're following your notes, preventing service. Preventing service. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, we wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan stopped us. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you knew God asked you to serve in a specific way, but something came up, you chalked it up to coincidence, and you never were able to complete it? Maybe it was a coincidence, but maybe there was an unseen war going on and Satan wanted to keep you from serving. Why is it that believers 
have more fights with their spouses on Saturday night and Sunday morning than any other time during the week? Why is it that it's hard to get your kids out of the house on Sunday morning? Maybe that's just a coincidence, but maybe someone doesn't want you here. This is the point in the message where every parent says amen. Amen. We have an enemy. Maybe he's keeping us from service. That's how he attacks us. If you're following in your notes, he attacks us by promoting division. This is one of his favorite things to do in the church. It's to divide people. Get them sideways with one another. Destroy lies by destroying relationships. How about our families? Our enemy's done a great job of that. What about your marriages? I mean, you continually disagree and you fight with your spouse and you just run up against it. Maybe there's more going on that you can see and Satan wants to destroy your life by destroying your marriage. We have an enemy. If you're following in your notes, he attacks this earth by blinding unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I didn't say that to shame you or make you feel bad. I'm thankful you're here. I say that for us Christians because it will fuel how we see other people and how we pray. We don't look down on people who aren't followers of Jesus because we were all blind at one time. And it fuels how we pray because we can ask God to remove the blindness from their eyes so that they might be able to see the light of the glory of Christ. Changes our perspective on people. And finally, if you're following in your notes, he attacks this earth by tempting us. This may be one of the most common ways the fight happens in our lives. He tempts us to anger, pride, worry, worldliness, lying, immorality. And listen, maybe instead of you thinking that you're just a horrible person for messing up all the time, maybe there's more going on than you can see. Maybe we really do have an enemy who wants to destroy your life and steal your joy. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, has a great quote about recognizing the fact that there may be more going on than you can see. I love this. He said, As long as you look at your problems and the problems of the world strictly in terms of flesh and blood, listen, as long as you look at your problems and the problems of the world strictly in terms of flesh and blood, you are going to inevitably and continually be defeated. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, to destroy lives, make us miserable, feel like failures, and grow farther from Christ. So the first thing we wanted to do today is we want to get on the table this issue of spiritual warfare because just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not real because we see the effects of it all the time. I'm going to invite Jarissa and the team out. But while they're coming out, I want to end this section by asking two questions of everyone here. Everyone here. The first, if you're following on your notes, Are you open to believing that there is a spiritual war raging? Are you open to it? I mean, maybe you walked in here this morning, you've never heard this stuff before. It sounds crazy. Are you open to it? Because the Bible's clear. It's very real. And then the second question that I want to ask, and then we'll give you time to think about this, where is it in your life Where is it in your life 
you specifically? Where is it in your life that you may be encountering spiritual warfare? Where is it? Is there a certain temptation? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your workplace? What is it? We want to give you the gift of time. We don't slow down to think about this stuff. If you're like me, you just go at breakneck speed. So we want to give you the time that you might consider that this is real and where you're seeing it. Thankful for Jerissa giving us that time. I heard a quote this week that I, I loved. Somebody said, art isn't just about drawing and painting. Art is about the ability to see. And I pray that time gave you a chance to see that this battle's real. It's all around us. And we can fight it. We can fight it. So I want to look at the last six verses of chapter 10 as we learn how to do this. If you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going to start in verse 15. It says, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And so again, we're going to get to this vision next week that they hint at with Persia and Greece. But what I want us to see in this, these last six verses is that after God reveals to Daniel that there's this cosmic war going on, we see words like this, gave me strength, be strong now, be strong, I was strengthened, you have given me strength. And what we see, if you're following your notes, is in the midst of hard times, Daniel is strengthened. He's strengthened. And it's like God is saying to Daniel, no matter what happens, Daniel, even when it looks like I'm not answering prayers, I'm still in control. Be strengthened. And he was strengthened. And think about this. Daniel lived 500 years before Jesus. He didn't know all that we know. So how much more can we be strengthened living on this side of the cross? If you're following in your notes, the, mo the most important thing about spiritual warfare, if you're following in your notes, is that we are strengthened because the outcome of this spiritual war is irreversible. Satan has been defeated. Christ has won. Christ is one. If you look at Colossians 2.15 on the screen, it says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The victory has been won. Warfare is a present reality, but the past event of the cross gives us victory. 
Jesus took on himself the sin of the world. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin, and he conquered death, and he ultimately broke Satan's power by being obedient to death on a cross. And through his shed blood, we are redeemed and we're bought back. We are forgiven of our sins. We are placed on the winning side. We are now no longer dead in sin. We're new creations. And get this, we have the privilege. It's a total get to. We get to live out daily the triumph of the cross. We get to live that out. This is so important. If you're following your notes, this is the paradigm shift that can make all the difference. If you're following your notes, we do not fight this war for victory. We fight from victory. We don't fight for it. We fight from it. Christ has all authority. He's the risen Savior, exalted King, sovereign Lord. He's in control of all things, no matter what. So like Daniel, when we see spiritual warfare, or we encounter spiritual warfare, we don't need to be afraid. We fight from a place of victory, but we need to know how to fight. And this is what can change our lives, knowing how to fight. So I want to pull what we can from Daniel chapter 10, a little bit from 9, and see three ways that Daniel fights this. And real quick, before we get into how to fight, I want to address something because this will influence how we fight. And it's the question that I've been asked a ton of times, can a Christian come under the possession of a demonic spirit? Scripture never once pictures someone casting a demon out of a Christian. Not once. There's no clear example in the Bible where a demon ever inhabited or controlled a true believer and it needed to be cast out of them. Never. You need to know, if you are a follower of Christ, you belong to him, you are indwelled with his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and a demon cannot own you and a demon cannot possess you and control you. However, you can be influenced and attacked by demons to varying degrees. And most of the time, the way we're attacked is that we're tempted, we give in to temptation, and then we sin, and we give the devil a foothold. And that's why this first point in fighting spiritual warfare is critical. If you're following in your notes, in humility, we repent of our sin and confess to God. In humility, we repent of our sin and confess to God. Jeff taught on this last week. I'd encourage you to listen to that message. It's so important in the battle. Daniel chapter 9 is all about confession. And even in the early verses of chapter 10, we see Daniel in mourning, praying, and fasting. And knowing his character, knowing Daniel's character, I've got to believe over the course of 21 days, repenting and confessing were part of that praying. And this repenting, and confessing is so important because this is fascinating as I studied. The Bible rarely talks about the devil without mentioning human responsibility. Rarely. Rarely talks about the devil without mentioning human responsibility. You read the Bible, and in believers, you don't see the Bible say that they cast blame on demons. Most of the blame is cast on the human heart. Our sin, like I said, it leads to spiritual warfare in our lives. And we don't see Jesus going around to believers who had a sin issue and casting demons out of them. What you see Jesus doing when he encounters a believer who has a sin issue, every single time, he says, repent. Repent of your sin. 
Is there a stronghold in your life that you can't break? You can't seem to get victory over. It's always there. You're just up against it. It's holding you down. I don't know if it's lying, cheating, stealing, idolatry, sexual perversion, yelling at your kids, fighting with your wife. I don't know what it is. We all have stuff. And the answer is not to cast out demons. The answer is to repent. You turn from your sin and you turn to God and you say, God, I need you more than I need my sin and I want to love you more than I love my sin and we trust in God, we follow God, we obey God and that's how we fight spiritual warfare. It's not glamorous. It's hard work, but it's the first step in fighting spiritual warfare. Second, if you're following in your notes, we remind ourselves of God's identity and our identity in him. And it's found in the word. We remind ourselves of God's identity and our identity in him. In this vision, Daniel was reminded of God's identity by the presence of the angels. Some people even believe in verses 5 and 6. That's actually a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's actually a very similar language to what you find in Revelation 12, which does describe Jesus. But regardless of whether that is a picture of Christ or an angel, Daniel was reminded of God's identity and his greatness. And Daniel was reminded of his identity by something the angel said. Did you catch it in verse 11 and 19? Two times. It said, you who are highly esteemed. In Hebrew, that's actually two words, and it means man and covet. God's saying, I covet you, Daniel. I want you. You're mine. I desire you. We're told not to covet in the Ten Commandments. It's a sin for us. But just think of this. Every person in this room, God says, I covet you. He wants you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And this is so important for us to know because if we want to fight Satan and his demons, we need to know who God is and we need to know our identity and how God feels about us. And we find it in his word. If you want to be victorious in spiritual warfare, you read the word, study the word, meditate on the word, memorize the word, apply the word. That's why we encourage you all the time, get in God's word, be a first-hander. And maybe you just need to underline where you come across God's identity or your identity or put it on note cards and carry it in your pocket or put it on mirrors to remind yourself of who God is and who you are. And we use the word because Jesus used the word. In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan, and every time he's tempted, he counters with the word. And if it worked for Jesus, it works for us. So can I just show you how this plays out? Maybe something happens, and you begin to doubt and question God's goodness. Remember, one of his objectives is to defame God's glory. So we begin to question God's goodness. Listen, I've lived here for the better part of two years. And the way you fight is you take up faith in God's character. You don't do this. You don't say, demon of doubt, be gone. Or demon of fear, be gone. 
What you do is you cling to the truth of God and you say, God, I need to know John 3.16 right now, that you loved the world so much that you sent your one and only son, that whoever believes in him should never perish but have eternal life. Or you say, 1 John 4.10, God, I need to remember that you are love, not that I loved you first, but you loved me and you were willing to send your son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. Or how about Colossians 1, 13, 14, say, God, help me remember that you've rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of the Son. When Satan says you're condemned and brings lies to you and says there's no way God loves you anymore, you say, God, help me know Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need to know that now. Protect me, God. Protect me. When you're experiencing spiritual warfare, don't start renouncing Satan and his demons. Use the word to defeat the enemy. And here's just my two cents. I I think it's even more helpful to say it out loud. I just think it's helpful to hear it out loud, God's word reminding you of who he is and who you are. I think there's power in that. So we humble ourselves, we repent, and we confess, we use the word. Interestingly enough, Jeff and Steve are going to teach on the armor of God this fall, which talks about how to fight this battle even more. Those are all characteristics, not techniques. Those are all about the identity of God and our identity in him. But it's interesting that the word is called the sword, and I love that Jerissa painted that because that's our weapon. So those are the first two. The third thing we do is we pray. We pray. Again, we see Daniel praying as this chapter began, and as he prayed, a great war was raging. Prayer is the heart of spiritual warfare. Right after the armor of God is completed, telling us how to fight, this verse shows up that kind of summarizes everything. And it's Ephesians 6.18 that says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is what the New Testament churches did when they faced spiritual warfare, when Satan was trying to destroy the early church, and when Satan was trying to defame God, when they were living under oppressive governments, the New Testament churches didn't go out wandering the streets calling out demons and binding them. They went out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and they gathered and they prayed. Actually, after the book of Acts, we don't see much going on in terms of casting out demons. We see Jesus and the apostles do that, but that that was to prove their authority over the kingdom of darkness. And so, let me say something. This is going to sound really strange when I say it. I'll explain it. When we pray, pray to God and don't pray to demons. I'm going to explain that because that sounds crazy, right? But I've done this. And as I've studied this, I've learned it's dangerous. Because the Bible is very clear, have nothing to do with evil spirits or mediums. So what I mean by that is when we're tempted or when we're in the midst of spiritual warfare, we don't say, I rebuke you, evil spirit. You have no claim on my family or no claim on my child's life. I rebuke you. That's a prayer addressed to a demon. What you do is you pray to the God of the universe who has authority over all demons. And you say, God, I need your protection, and I need your deliverance, and I need you to remind me who I am in you right now, because I am really struggling. That's a prayer to the powerful God that created us, not to a demon. 
I just think it's really dangerous when we get into talking to demons. And we're told to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requests. So let's be a people who pray to God to change oppressive governments for orphan children, for children in the womb, for moms to make a decision for life, for terrorist groups, for sicknesses, for sideways relationships, for missionaries who are struggling, for marriages, for children. And we pray, and in praying we fight the enemy. Because when we pray, God hears something, angels go into action, and something happens that we can't see. And Daniel's example shows us not to give up in prayer. Because you might be here and you've prayed the same thing for three days, three weeks, three months, 30 years. Remember, there's more going on than we can see. It took 21 days for breakthrough for Daniel. There's a battle being fought that we can't see, but our prayers are fueling the battle. And we need to keep praying even when we don't get an answer, knowing God can provide breakthrough at any time. And the cool thing about this is you can do all this at home. Anywhere you are, anybody here, you don't need to be a super Christian. You need to be a follower of Jesus, but anybody can fight. And you can have the victory that's found in Jesus. So I'm going to invite the team back out. There's one more thing that's powerful in the fight against our enemy. If you put your notes away, you may just want to take this out and write it down. I didn't feel like adding another line, and you're probably very thankful for that. But there's something that's very powerful in fighting spiritual warfare as well, and it's music. It's music. There's something about music. There may be days when you can't pick up a Bible and read it, and you can't pray to God because it's too hard, and music can do something that touches your soul and can fight the enemy. So there's this story in the Bible where Paul and Silas are thrown in prison in Acts 16. And it says about midnight, they were praying, one of our weapons, and singing. And a violent earthquake hit, and the jail doors flew open. All the prisoners went out. The jailer was about ready to kill himself. Paul said, don't do it. Paul went on to have a conversation with the jailer and his entire family. And they were led to Christ that night and baptized. God protected them, and God delivered them, and I think something had to do with the songs they were singing. It's powerful. And so we want to end by singing today, and so is there a stronghold you have? Maybe it's the one you thought about a little bit earlier. Is there a battle you need victory over? We're going to sing, but if this is a time where you need to repent and confess because you've noticed some things in your life, then take this time and do that. If you just need to listen to these words and remind yourself of God's identity and your identity in him, then just let it wash over you. If this is a time where you just need to pray into what's going on, then pray. And if this is a time where you need to sing, then church, let's sing. Because when we sing, chains are broken and the fight rages on. So if you need to be seated, you can be seated. If you want to stand, I invite you to stand with us. Whatever you need to do right now, we invite you to do it.